All right, sound is speeding. We are recording. Cool. All right, let's begin. Okay, so if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Red, what? Great parade. Red. Who drank my apple juice? I'd like to give a big round of applause to my band, Sexual Chocolate. Please. What? One game, one on one. For what? Your heart. It was like his dip just Baby, baby. Please. Please. Please, baby. Please, baby. Baby, baby. Please. Yo. You got the juice now, man. And that's the double truth. Roo, roo. Hello, hello, hello. How are y'all doing? Welcome to Adventures in Black Cinema, your passports to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne, and I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. It is so good to be here yet again to discuss film with you lovely people. So thank you again, per usual, for tuning into the show giving us your wonderful feedback and commenting on the post on our Instagram and just showing us love. I really, really, really appreciate that. And I'm very, very excited for today's episode. This is one of my favorite Black films of recent years. So we're going to get on into it pretty soon. Greetings from Santa Cruz, California. This week's episode is called Adventures in Divisions and Duplicates, and we will be getting into the nitty-gritty of the film Us. But before we do that, since I did a whole episode on the Oscars, I thought it would be good to give some of my reactions to the show that happened, even though it went down a couple weeks ago by the time this episode will be released. So let's talk some Oscar thoughts. There's so much work to do, guys, and that's on everyone in this room. This ain't no single man job. That's some real, and I look to everyone, every single one of you. You got work to do. Do you understand? Know and I'm gonna get back to work Tuesday morning because tonight I'm going up. <laughs> We're going up. You know what I mean? We're enjoying ourselves tonight because we gotta celebrate. We gotta celebrate life, man. We're breathing. We're walking. It's incredible. It's incredible. Like it's incredible. My mom met my dad. They had sex. It's amazing, like, do you know what I'm saying? I'm here, you know what I mean? So, I'm so happy to be alive. So I'm gonna celebrate that tonight, do you know what I'm saying? And I appreciate every single person in the room, appreciate everyone watching at home, you know? Love, peace, love, and onwards. We go again, appreciate you. So, first of all, I would like to say, of course, congratulations to all of the black winners. Of course, Daniel Kaluuya, for giving us a very, very memorable speech, great speech, uh, to her and her team for winning Best Original Song. That was my vote for Best Original Song. Though I didn't write it down on my ballot, that was the one I wanted to win. We also had Mia Neal and Jamika Wilson being the first Black people nominated for Best Makeup and Hairstyling and therefore also being the first winners for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. We had Trayvon Free becoming the first Black winner for Best Short Live Action. And we also had John Baptiste winning for his score with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for Soul. So congratulations to these people and also congratulations to people like 
Yajung Yoon for Best Supporting Actress and Chloe Zhao for Best Director. Like, honestly, the wins were pretty good. They were very surprising in a lot of ways because I feel like no film really swept and like ate up every single category. I think the film that won the most ended up with three. Most films, I think every single Best Picture nominee won at least one Oscar except for The Trial of the Chicago 7, which, I mean, not super surprising. I think this was well spread out. My ballot was trash this year. I am so sorry, y'all. It was so bad. I should have gone more with my gut and honestly more with what I said on the fucking episode that I did because I would have gotten more correct. Last year, I only got two wrong. I was on cloud nine. I was winning, but this year was uh, kind of a mess. And... Speaking of a fucking mess, the way that this show was produced was a fucking mess. So, like, I don't have issue with a lot of the winners. I will get to, you know, the thing in a minute. But the main issue was the way this show was put together was just terrible. So, first of all, you have the Oscars happening during COVID. That is already... A strange thing. You don't, therefore, have to fuck it up even more and do more weird shit like changing the order of the show, taking out clips, doing all this shit where you're talking about where people came from. Like, do I appreciate hearing what people did before they got into the world of film? Yes. Is that semi-inspirational? Yes. But what I want to see more is the process. And I love that they did that in previous years, but they didn't fucking do it this year. Two of my favorite categories they actually showed clips for, which was Best Documentary Feature and Best International Feature. An update on my favorite Best International Feature, Quo Vadis Aida, is now streaming on Hulu. It is one of the best nominated films of the year, period, out of every single film that was nominated. So I definitely urge you to watch that. But yes, I want to see acting clips. I want to see renderings of costumes and makeup. I want to see how directors were working on set. I want that shit. Not this shit that's supposed to feel like a, ooh, a sweet little band-aid over COVID. And also the way that they ordered the show robbed people out of several wonderful moments. So... You know how good Ya Jung Yoon's speech was? You know how good Daniel Kaluuya's speech was? Well, if the show had been ordered the way it's supposed to be ordered, those two would have gone first, and you would have seen people of color from Jump winning awards in this show. Also, Chloe Zhao was ripped of moments. Best Director is supposed to go way later in the show. I believe it is supposed to come right before Best Actor and Best Actress. And then she was robbed of her moment <laughs> for Best Picture. She was the first woman of color to win Best Director, the first Asian woman to win Best Director. And her moment came in the fucking middle of the show. Best Picture wasn't last the way it was supposed to be. And there are so few Best Picture wins that are, of course, directed by Asian people. And then that are about women that are by women, 
because even the Hurt Locker, which was directed by Catherine Bigelow, the first female Best Director win, was about a bunch of dudes. So it's just... And of course, the cherry on top of the cake is them changing Best Actress and Best Actor to the end because Best Actress was a nail biter. Nobody knew who was gonna win, so they wanted to save that for ratings or whatever. And then saving Best Actor for the end because everyone assumed that Chadwick Boseman was gonna win. Now, do I think Chadwick Boseman should have won? Yes. It is a career high performance for someone who gave excellent performances all throughout their career. It was his last performance. He had done really well in the awards circuit because it's a really good performance. And also people want to pay their respects to someone who was very much loved in this industry. So they took a risk and put that award last they assumed that they would be able to give a tribute to Chadwick Boseman at the end of the show. That was a terrible gamble because he didn't end up winning. Anthony Hopkins won for his also wonderful performance in The Father. And I think if they had just left things the way that they are supposed to be, that award would have ended up happening either right before Best Picture or two awards before Best Picture at the end. So it would have happened near the end regardless. And if Chadwick didn't end up winning, you would have just had a normal flow of your award show, except for it just ending abruptly because you also did not allow Anthony Hopkins to zoom in. Anthony Hopkins is 83 years old. He lives in Wales. It was four o'clock in the morning. He did not want to travel to one of the hubs. He's old. He shouldn't have to do anything that he doesn't want to do. I mean, honestly, regardless, nobody should have to do anything that they don't want to do, especially when there is a pandemic. They should have just let him zoom in. Yeah, it was just <sighs> terribly produced. Some really solid wins, but people robbed of their moments. And in terms of Anthony Hopkins winning, I think there are so many things that led to that. There was the fact that everyone assumed that Chadwick would win and not thinking that their vote for Anthony Hopkins would matter the way that it did. There is the fact that Sony Pictures Classics put the father out pretty late. So it was very top of mind for people. It wasn't like the movie came out in November, December, or even January. I think this movie really came out and dropped in like February, March, maybe even after Judas and the Black Messiah, even though it had premiered at Sundance and people had seen it. Sony Pictures Classics putting that film out late made it go to everyone's top of mind. The way that movie kind of exceeds your expectations of what it's going to be. I went into that film thinking that if I knew exactly what I was going to get, that it was just going to be well-acted, sad fare. But it is so much more than that. It's kind of crazy how much that movie fucked me up. Anthony Hopkins is really good. I'm so glad that he gave a tribute to Chadwick in his speech. And I still think Chadwick should have won. 
I think another reason that he did not win is because the Academy at large still has issues seeing black actors as leads and winning for lead roles. And it's not like they do it intentionally or maliciously. I think what makes it feel worse is that they have a cognitive dissonance. It doesn't register to them as real or valid for some reason. It is (sighs) so crazy. It is so crazy because Frances McDormand also, I think that, you know, she was good in Nomadland, but like that should have gone to Carrie Mulligan or Viola Davis. Again, they have issue, they have issue. There's still so much work for them to do. And at the same time, it's kind of like a strange thing being aware of this institution and this faction, wanting to be part of it as someone who is a filmmaker myself, and also not at all. It's a very strange, conflicting thing. And I think that that is how Chadwick Boseman, someone like Chadwick did feel. You know, according to his brother, He said that him and his family didn't feel like it was a snub on the Academy's part because Chadwick is someone who wasn't all about the awards, the glitz and the glam and all about the Academy and stuff like that. I think he was just really happy to be an actor. And I will always, always remember the look that he gave at the Oscars when he turns around and makes that face and shakes his head at Green Book winning Best Picture. So... I think, honestly, regardless of Chadwick not winning the Oscar, though it would have been a really great cap on his career and his life, this is a performance that will always be remembered. Period. And I think it will live on so much longer than many of the performances that win Oscars do. Speaking of... Oscar disrespect <laughs> and performances that will be remembered for a lot longer than the respect that they were given or the lack of respect that they were given by the Academy. Let's get into the fucking nitty gritty of us. So Us is a film directed by Jordan Peele, released in 2019. So a little summary of the film if you're not familiar with it. Jordan Peele's second foray into horror stars Lupita Nyong'o as a woman named Adelaide who is triggered by her past while on vacation with her family in Santa Cruz. She is haunted by a memory from her childhood of getting lost in a hall of mirrors in a funhouse on the boardwalk where inside she saw another girl who looked just like her. Not a mirror image, but a doppelganger who had a life of her own. One night while on this vacation with her family in the present, Adelaide says that she can feel this other woman's presence. Moments later, the family loses electricity and another scary family breaks in and invades their home a family of people that look 
just like them. Now, here is a warning, a spoiler alert alert. I usually don't do this because I usually don't care if I'm spoiling the movie. I think this podcast serves as more of an enhancement of a film rather than to spoil the film in any way that makes it not fun to watch in the future. However, there is a twist on this film that I don't think is predicated for the film. Like, I again, I don't think that the movie is less fun watching and knowing the quote-unquote twist, but I think like any good twist here in this film, when you watch the film again, knowing these things, every element of the film to me gets better, especially the lead performance of Lupita Nyong'o. She is incredible, incredible in this movie. So that's just your warning. If you haven't seen this movie, I highly suggest that you stop right now. You go, rent it, borrow it, watch it, and then come back to the podcast and then watch the film again. All right, you've been warned. So the other people who are in this wonderful film, along with Miss Lupita, are Winston Duke, Elizabeth Moss, Tim Heidecker, Shahadi Wright, Joseph Evan Alex and Yahya Abdul-Mantine II. Now, here are some fun facts about this film. Like Get Out, there are so many, but I'm only gonna go with three. And these are, these are fun, fun facts. These are super fun, fun facts. First fun fact being that some of the films that Jordan Peele used for inspiration for the creation of us in various ways, whether it be design, camera work, parts in the story, you know, all of these things kind of came together along with his own personal thoughts, fears, and feelings and became this movie. So some of those films include Funny Games, The Birds, The Shining, A Tale of Two Sisters, The Lost Boys, Jaws, Dead Again, The Babadook, It Follows, Martyrs, Let the Right One In, The Sixth Sense, and an episode of The Twilight Zone called The Mirror, in which this woman finds a doppelganger that she has through a mirror that she sees, I believe, while she's waiting for, like, the train or the bus or something. It's really good. I love the fucking Twilight Zone, and I love anything inspired by the Twilight Zone, so yes. And I also love this thing about Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele really being a cinephile himself and such a lover, lover of film and letting that inspire how he makes a film and the creation of his films. And 11 of these films that he chose, he gave to the cast to watch as films that kind of shared the same language as us so they could really get into it in as many ways as possible. And that's something that I love to do too. I love bringing inspiration from other projects because I think that paying homage to what has come before you in many various ways, I think is really smart. It's really respectful, of course, as paying respect to something is. And also, I mean, when you're inspired by good shit, it just ups the chances of your shit also being good. I mean, it's just math. 
Like we're talking about duplications and divisions today in this podcast about us. So that's just, that's just the math, you know? If you are inspired by good shit, your shit might be really good if you know how to use it. And Jordan Peele knows how to use the shit that inspires him. So fun fact number two is that this film grossed $71 million in the United States over its opening weekend, which is the highest ever opening for an original horror film, aka a film that is not a sequel, that is not based on any other existing material. So that's pretty fucking impressive. And also, this is the second highest opening for an original live action film after Avatar. So again, that may sound crazy to you because you're like, oh, what about Marvel movies? Oh, what about Star Wars? Those are all based on other properties. No franchise, nothing. So even a sequel to Avatar will not be able to be counted in this statistic. So it's fucking Avatar and us. That's pretty fucking sick. So... Third fun fact is that the tethered version of I Got Five on it was only included in the film after the song got such a large positive response from the trailer when the trailer dropped. This is the brilliance of the amazing composer Michael Abels. He is just a genius. I mean, I've talked about how I feel about the main credits opening score for this film. I'll play it again here. And also, there is a fucking cue in this score that I fucking love. It is when the family is walking on to the beach for the first time. Adelaide's family with her husband and her two kids. There's a really cool bird's eye shot on them walking on the beach. And there's this great cue that's just like... And a score has got me in its pocket. A composer has got me in their pocket when they scratch their bows on strings whenever there's lots of plucking. I love string plucking. I love choral shit. I love, like I said, just like rubbing on strings. It makes such a weird sound that I love, very eerie sound. I also love good horns. I think I just love a good score, you guys. I just... Thing I love a good score. And I love, you know, a lot of creepy scores. Uh, Danny Elfman is one of my faves. The opening to Beetlejuice, the main titles of Beetlejuice. I will not rest. I will not die. I will not pass away until I have seen an orchestra and choir perform the main title to Beetlejuice live. I won't. I just won't. I won't. 
And the tethered version of I Got Five on it is just absolutely amazing. I mean... Also, I Got Five on it has a very interesting meaning in this film because, of course, as we talk about duplicates, there is a very big theme here, obviously, of doppelgangers, things adding up, coincidences, and pairs. Lots and lots of those Things that I just said <laughs> are themes in this film. So I got five on it, if you don't know, means you have $5, I have $5. That means we can buy a dime bag of weed. Woo! That means we can buy a $10 bag of weed. All of the white people that are listening right now are going like, oh, oh my God, I didn't know. Not all the white people. I know if my costume designer, Kim Matella, is listening right now, she will know because she always be knowing. But most, most white folks are gagged at this reveal right now. And again, this Orchestral version is so good, and this man deserves to be nominated for Best Original Score. I hope him and Jordan Peele continue to work together and that that happens for him one day. One other song with significance in this film is I Like That by Janelle Monet. In the Get Out episode, I talked about how Jordan, in these two films, uses a popular song in the beginning, with lyrics that either foreshadow or give you certain themes of the film in the lyrics. For Get Out, he used Redbone by Childish Gambino. And in this film, he uses I Like That by Janelle Monet. And the lyrics in the first verse are all comparison. They're all about this theme of duality. So yeah, I just think that's super fucking cool. I just love little details like that. Jordan is just so talented. So my first experience seeing us, we'll talk about a few actually, because this is not a film that I just saw once in theaters. I mean, how could you? So the first time I saw this film, I saw this at SOPAC with my brother, which is the South Orange Performing Arts Center. It was a bow tie cinemas. I don't think it exists anymore. We will see what happens in the future. But I think as of now, that shit is closed. And me and my brother also saw Get Out at the same theater. That day that we were going to see us, I had just failed my road test. I only failed the road test once. I got it the second time. But the first time, there was this dick-ass dude who, I mean, I, I just told you about him. I don't think I have to go into more detail other than that he was a dick-ass dude and made me really nervous. And so I did not pass my first driving test. But he couldn't fuck up my day because I knew that my brother and I were going to go see us that evening. So 
Had a great time. Had a great time. Did not know what to expect from this film because even though we had a trailer, a lot of the details about this film were kept on lock. I love that Jordan Peele does that. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I was never bored. I loved how the story moved and was blown away by Lupita's fucking performance. And we will be talking about that. Oh, man. Oh, man. Just, um... The Oscars will never get any kind of relevance back in this world until they start actually becoming a merit-based award. (laughs) Because there's no fucking reason why that year Lupita and Alfre and... A few other people were not nominated. Political bullshit. Political bullshit. So after I saw this film at SOPAC with my brother, it poured rain afterwards. And the same thing happened after we saw Get Out at the same theater. Very, very, very interesting. Coinkadink. And I hope the same thing happens when we go see his next one. I mean, I don't know. There will already be a break in the tradition if this theater has closed, but whatever. Then, 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 I took some co-workers of mine to see this film at Nighthawk Williamsburg because I wanted to see it again. Everyone I worked with at The Breakfast Shack was a horror head and loves Lupita and loved Get Out, so they wanted to see this film for sure. We were serving doppelganger dishes and drinks. I forget what the dishes were, but I know the drinks were like a variation. I think they were both variations on Mai Tais, but one was kind of... I think bitter to go with red, and maybe the other one was like sweet. I don't, I can't remember, but there was a doppelganger drink that was really cool to go with uh, Lupita and her doppelganger in this film. And that was such a great time. That was such a great fucking amazing time. It was so much fun. And then I saw it again in Cleveland when I went to Cleveland for my baby cousin's baby shower because my other cousins, her brother and my oldest cousin, Wanted to see the film, but hadn't seen it. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll definitely go see it again. I fucking loved it. And I had such an amazing and different time every single time. I fucking loved it. And I love talking to people after the film, having discussions about what they got from the film. It's just wonderful. And I think the same feeling happened when we had it at Nighthawk. I would love to hear people talking about this film after they saw it. You know, I usually would get pissed if people didn't leave the theater during the credits because, you know, we need to clean the theater. We need to flip it for the next screening. But listening to people talk about this was great. And I'll never forget, there was one time I was serving this film at Nighthawk and you know, in order to get around the aisles and stuff, they want us to crouch when we can so that we are not blocking the screen and we're not so invasive to the film experience. And that includes, you know, coming in to a row when it's a good like dip in the movie so that you're not interrupting the experience of watching the movie. So I was crouching down in one of our big theaters working this film And this guy got scared. He was like, yo, you could be sneaking up on me like that. I died. I was dying. It was a great moment. And yeah, I just, I love this movie. Can you tell? Can you tell? 
I think I have seen this movie a total of five times. And though it's not perfect, there are definitely holes in logic here and there. I would say that there are aspects of it, in terms of its tightness, it's not as tight as Get Out, but I love that. I love that we are dealing with a subject matter where there really is no strong answer to or conclusion to that leads to more conversation, that leads to more contemplation. And I I love that Jordan uses this film to figure out something that's been on his mind that he doesn't have the answers to. I love that so much. These shades of gray that are in this film are quite incredible. And I think that can kind of lead to people misunderstanding it and people dismissing it. But I'm bringing it back. And we're getting into these themes of duplicates and divisions right now. So speaking of duplicates, one of the super fun things that everyone in the cast gets to do is play themselves and the tethered version of themselves. And I think that everyone does a very, very good job with this. You know, Winston Duke kind of playing these opposing figures as like the dad who's got jokes, the very, in a lot of ways, stereotypical American dad or like what he's trying to be. I thought I already done told y'all to get off my property, okay? So if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Now the cops already on their way. And then, you know, his tethered version is this kind of brutish follower of Red in a way. And I love the fun detail of, of course, Winston Dukes, whose name is Gabe, who's Adelaide's husband. Gabe's tethered really needs glasses too. So when he puts on Gabe's glasses. There's this really funny moment and that great funny detail of him also probably needing glasses, but not being able to have access to them living in a tunnel underground. Then we also have Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker doing really, really, really great work as their regular selves and their tethered versions, their regular selves in the human quote unquote world are Josh and Kitty. And Elizabeth Moss as Kitty does this really funny, interesting, like drunk wink blink when you first see her, when she's talking to Adelaide, who's Lupita's character for the first time on the beach. It's just such a funny and specific detail that again, lets you know everything you need to know about this woman before she's even said anything. And I think her first line is about like rose or something like that. Sure you want anything to drink? No, I'm good. Rosé is delicious. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, yeah. It's so funny. She's always so great. And then as her tethered version, you know, when she is herself as Kitty, she's talking about how she got some work done recently. And it's interesting that when you see Kitty's tethered version later on in the film, one of the things that she does is takes her pair of scissors to her face and starts kind of doing this like weird kind of botched surgery to her jaw, I believe. 
And Tim Heidecker as Josh is just the stereotypical white guy who you hate. Oh, shit. No. Yeah, I, there's something out there. Don't fuck with me, Josh. I'm not fucking with you. I'm serious. There's something out there. Look. Look behind the car. Where? I don't it's see it. By the car. I look. Can't... Oh, shit. What? <gasps> oh, my God. It's OJ. It's OJ Simpson. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Seriously. You know, he's very rich. He's an asshole. He's always just trying to flex constantly. And so his tethered version, the way that he sounds is kind of like a a bird almost. And it's funny because you hear him before you see him. So when the Wilsons family gets invaded by the tethered version of their family. There's a part where Gabe's tethered is outside in the boat trying to, you know, kill him, get rid of him. And you hear this squawking out in the forest. And Gabe responds to that with the his tethered sound, which is kind of just like, like grunting. And you hear this bird noise, and you're just like, what the fuck is that? And then later on, when the Wilsons are over at Josh and Kitty's house, dealing with Josh and Kitty's family's tethered versions, if you can connect all these dots listening to this madness, that is when you understand who that was that he was calling to. It was Josh's tethered. And the kids are fucking awesome, too. Honestly, Shahadi Wright Joseph and Evan Alex do such a wonderful job with their tethers as well. I mean, Shahadi Wright Joseph's <laughs> tethered is really scary. I think out of all of them, you know, I think the hair and makeup that they've done on all of them is quite incredible and lets you know so much about them, even before Adelaide's Tethered, whose name is Red, kind of tells you the story of how they came to be, you understand they don't look like they're well-kept people. They look really tired. <laughs> they Their hair is so unkept and terrible. And th- I think in some cases, it just looks like very wet and very, very undone. And I think... One of the few times, if the only time, you see a lead character in a film have locks, have dreadlocks, and that's Adelaide. When Lupita is playing Adelaide, she has locks, and she rocks a natural. I don't know if she rocks it, but she she has, she contains a natural when she's playing Red. And... I think all of these hair and makeup details are, again, things that are kind of ignored when it comes to the Academy because there are specific details put in here to make this genre piece really work on multiple levels. And again, to give you so much detail about these people just on site. And for some reason, This kind of work just does not get noticed. And you know what? That's okay because we notice it as audience members. And I think that we notice these things years and years after these films are released. And we know the genius of them. And these films are made for us. And, of course, speaking of disrespect and things that the Academy does not notice, as I was saying before, Lupita 
Lupita, Lupita, Lupita. Her performance in this movie is just next level and it contains many levels. Because like I was saying, I don't really necessarily care about you knowing the twist in terms of the plot. I think being able to experience Lupita's performance on many different levels from the point of view of not knowing and then the point of view of knowing, I think is a really special thing because that's how good this performance is, that it works on all those levels. So before you know who is exactly who between Adelaide and Red, on first viewing of this film, essentially what you get is a woman who has a lot of really great instincts about what to do with her family in this situation of these people coming after them. And you just get the sense that she's really smart and because she's had these intuitive feelings about this girl that she saw in the funhouse one night, always kind of being a part of her and watching her, you just kind of get the sense that that's why Adelaide knows what to do. And in terms of Red, you're like, she's the leader, so that's why she knows what to do. And that's why she's able to speak. You don't necessarily get the first time you see it that she's the only one who's speaking. Everyone else is making very strange noises or they are just not speaking at all as their tethered versions. But, of course, there are many things that are revealed once you know who is who and you realize that Red is actually Adelaide And Adelaide has been her tethered version playing Adelaide for years and years and years. So they have been switched many, many years ago. It wasn't just that she saw this other girl that looked like her. This other girl that looked like her choked her ass out, brought her down to the tunnels, uh, put her in handcuffs onto this bed, And then went up on her merry way. And it's funny because her parents don't think that she can talk in the past because she's very shocked. But of course, it's that she has to learn how to talk because she didn't know how to talk before this moment. She had to learn how to. So again, second time when you're watching this movie, you realize, oh, Adelaide is so good at this shit because she knows exactly what's going on. She knows who these motherfuckers are. She knows what she did. And she knows the vengeance that is coming for her ass. And also, she has been in this place of this just extreme poverty of living in the tunnels, of living as a tethered, living with literally nothing and no free will. She knows what it was like to live there for however many years she did as a child. So when this other woman, who it is her rightful place to be 
among the humans when she is coming back for her place she's like nah I ain't going back <laughs> I know what that life is like I will do anything within my power to never go back underground ever again and the kind of work that Lupita did to pull this off is quite incredible first of all when you see her as red I mean, even without having seen it, seen it a second time, when you see it the first time, you're just like, oh my God. The extreme contrast that she is working with here, the way that she talks, the detail in the way that, you know, she has not used her vocal cords in so long, and the fact that she was choked out as a child. <laughs> Once upon a time. It was a girl, and the girl had a shadow. The two were connected, tethered together. And there's so much specific character work that she did to achieve this. First of all, she stayed in character as Red between takes, so it's so interesting to see her in between takes and these like behind the scenes footage videos being like, so do I take it back to the top? And just like swallowing and like doing all this weird shit. And also specifically, physically, I think Jordan Peele said that Red should resemble a cockroach. And that is how Lupita moves around spaces as Red. It's like a combination of a cockroach and a dancer in a way, because they do both have a past and dance, Adelaide and Red. It is... <sighs> It is so good. It is absolutely astounding work. And as Adelaide, Lupita did a lot of work and research in terms of looking up war criminals and people who were traitors, etc. Because she is essentially infiltrating. She is the one who's been infiltrating for decades. And it's just incredible specific work, especially when you're watching it back the second time. You see so many moments where just her intentions and where her emotions are coming from completely change, completely change. And it really calls into question this thing that Jordan Peele wants us to ask ourselves. Who is the villain? Who is the hero? You know, it really complicates things Who's the villain? Who are the villains here? The people who want a chance to come up and thrive and escape this poverty that they're dealing with? This inequality, this soulless life? Or is it the people who have been here the whole time who, you know, have a right, I guess, to the life that they've just always had? I don't know. It is a really great and complicated question that is made even more complicated once you know who is who at the end of this film. So I think that, you know, class is definitely an allegory to this film for sure in terms of the haves and the have-nots for 
fucking sure. And then also something that I got from this film is kind of the divisions in our country politically as well. You know, Get Out being a film that is so much about living in Obama's America, this America where everyone thought that everything was good, everything was post-racial, and it's like, no, that's not the case at all. And it is, in fact, these liberal white people who are doing lots of damage as well. This felt very much to me like Trump's America in terms of the divisions in this country that were always here, but just like awakened in that moment, awakened in that era and still are pervading to this day. And like I said, never died. We're just always there. And they decided that this was their moment. This is our time to shine. This is our time to go up there and be seen and get what we want. We are tired of living in the shadows. And that's literally what the tethered say. Like, that's what Red says. And this whole kind of plan that they're working on and having a chosen person, them choosing Red to be the person that will push their platform, it feels like all of those things wrapped into one, which makes it even more complicated of a narrative to feel as if, you know, who are we rooting for? Who are we going against? It's kind of just like everybody is just doing what they feel they have to do in order to survive. And I think that that is a really crazy thing to portray in this horror film. I mean, I think... Jordan Peele does describe his films as, I forgot what they were saying, but basically entertaining popcorn films that you should also be able to think about afterwards. And this absolutely fits that bill. When you're dealing with the tethered, who are all at once people who are dealing with extreme poverty, and at the same time, their idea of what things should be is also very warped. And then you have these people who are living up on Earth. You know, there is so much privilege in terms of the Wilson family and then also especially in terms of Josh and Kitty's family. And at the same time, you see that they are good people, or so you think, and even that is turned on its head, you know, as the film goes on. It's just really, really great. And I think that that is an aspect of this film that really confused people, made people feel uncomfortable, and also made people like it less than Get Out. First of all, people don't necessarily know what to do with Black people in genre films when it's not dealing directly with racism. And This film does say certain things about race, but it's not so blatant about it. And that's not the fault of any horror that is about racism, except for that Amazon series, Them. That seems a bit unnecessary. But I think people don't know what to do with these things when they aren't dealing with race. I think that's a big reason why people couldn't process this film as easily. And I think that was people's expectation when going into this film, that it was going to have something to do with race again, like Get Out did. But I applaud Jordan for not doing the same thing twice, for making this film that in a way deals with something again that is more unknown and unknowable 
and kind of left people feeling cold in a lot of ways. And I think that the filmmaking in this film is so smart. First of all, the cinematography is gorge. It is so gorge. There's also this wonderful book ending that happens in the film and makes a really good point about the idea of charity in America. What is some shit like Hands Across America? What does that do for people who are actually struggling? You know, what does that actually do for folks who have nothing? And so you start the film off with the commercial of the Hands Across America with an instrumental kind of commercially version of a song called Les Fleurs, which was sung by Minnie Ripperton. And then you end the film with all the tethered's hands across America, literally, and the actual version of Les Fleurs by Minnie Ripperton. And the ending of the movie is so haunting because they're all doing that. And it's like, well, what the fuck is that doing at all? And the helicopters are flying over and they are without their leader, but also kind of with their leader. It's crazy. It's so good. It's such a good fucking film and it's so haunting. So in conclusion, I fucking love this movie, obviously. I've seen it like five times. Yes, are there holes in logic every once in a while? Yeah. But guess what? I feel as if there are sometimes films in which I will let that off the hook if they make me think enough, if the craft is good enough. There are some films in which I will excuse that and this is one of those films. I love films that have this much fun and are done with a high budget and meant for the mainstream, yet cause so much thought and conversation. I think it is hard for people to process, like I said before, black folks and drama pieces where there is not much of an allegory toward race. And I hope that Jordan actually continues to go in that direction to continue to normalize this in Hollywood. I would love to see more pieces where we can simply exist in the reality of genre, just like everybody else. Of course, race will always be inherently part of it, but it doesn't always have to be the sole focus in order for a piece to be acclaimed. And I want justice for Lupita. Lupita should have absolutely been nominated for an Oscar, but again, like I was saying, I have a complicated relationship with that institution because it's not merit-based, and I think that there are performances like this that will live on so much longer than any institution like the Oscars can. And if they continue to be out of touch, that'll be on them. They will continue to lose out. They will continue to distance themselves from importance because they're obviously not doing a good job. <laughs> and I think that's on that. And if you have not seen us, you should not be listening right now. I told you to turn this shit off and go watch the movie. But if you haven't or you want to watch it again, this film is now available to rent on Amazon and Apple TV. So check it the fuck out.
all my life I had to fight. The time has come for this week's You Better Act Award. And as I always say, if you are unfamiliar with the You Better Act Award, this is an award that I give out on every show for film or television, mostly film, and I give them the love they deserve. But before I get into this week's You Better Act Award, I just want to mention something that I forgot to say in the nitty gritty for the film Us. Every single time I saw this movie in a theater or worked at a screening of it at Nighthawk, the theater that I work at, every time Jason, played wonderfully by Evan Alex, said, We lost power. Go back to bed. There's a family in our driveway. All the black folks in the audience, they'd be like, ooh, man. And it was the best. And I think that's another reason why we need more black genre films like this. Because those reactions and those expressions that we have are forms of black joy and they are forms of black community. I just love it so much. I love it so, 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 so much. And this week's You Better Act Award fits in perfectly with that sentiment. And this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please, Regina Hall in the Scary Movie franchise. Yes, the whole franchise. She is excellent in all of these films. She is so fucking funny. She's so fucking precise. She's just one of the best actors that we have. And I've said that time and time and time and time again. And though she doesn't need the recognition from the institutions like the Oscars, et cetera, et cetera, I still want more acknowledgement of her for some reason. I know we know her. I know that we love her, but... I just want more acknowledgement for her being the fucking best. I mean, in these movies, she is an embodiment of what I was just talking about with us reacting in the movie theater to scary movies in the first scary movie. And then also all of the memeable moments from all of the rest of the scary movie films of her and her moments. Bitch, gotta bring that shit over here. Okay, well, maybe she won't see me. Somebody help me! Run up! Oh, 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 shit! She stole me! Thank you, you Okay, now let that shit just, just mutilate her white ass and leave. <laughs> She's just so amazing. And a lot of these institutions, just like they are not good at registering a black woman performance, period, 
but a black woman's performance that is in the horror genre. They are so bad at acknowledging that. And they're also so bad at acknowledging black female performances in comedy films. And this is both. I mean, this is mostly comedy, but it's comedy based on horror. And of course, you know, even to this day for a film like Support the Girls or Girls Trip, you know, I just want her to get more love. This is what I want for my love. More love for my love, Regina Hall. And all the scary movies are online somewhere. Fish them out, seek them out if you haven't seen them somehow. So in closing, some food for thought for this week. What are some of your biggest fears that you could see turning into a horror film? Like us. Comment on our Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema, of course. And also subscribe to the podcast on Apple. Follow us on Spotify if that is how you listen. Thank you per usual to the team. We have Matt Mozzarella on audio. We have our production assistant, Cindy Edward. And we have our executive producer, Miss Amanda Seals. Next week, we will be getting into the nitty gritty of a film that I consider to be the antithesis of a film like this, a horror film that is very specifically about race. And that film is called Antebellum. This is a request from a listener and I have not seen it. I have thoughts about it going in, but of course I will get into those next week on the show. And until then, stay safe, stay black, and stay blessed. Bye, y'all. Great.